the anthem, and I, I thank God, you know, you, you just, you know what you want us to focus on, and, and so many times the things that he's put on my heart just, just flow through the music, and so whether it's Pam and the choir or the praise team or a, a soloist, uh, God's in control. Uh, he, he knows what he wants, and so our goal is just to hear what he wants and do it. That's really, it boils down to that. Uh, the, uh, when I was, was brand new in college, the, the guy came in to talk to our class, one of the seniors or grad students. I, I don't remember what class he was in, but he came in to talk to us. And then he said, you know, we're not here to just or necessarily even teach you stuff. We want to teach you how to learn. And once you learn how to learn, you can learn the stuff you need to learn. Even if we don't teach it to you here, you'll learn it later. So this is just the beginning. Well, as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to learn how to learn from him. And as he continues to teach and to pour in, then it, then it doesn't even matter how much or how little we know right now. We're on a journey, and we're going somewhere. And even when we don't know very much, but God's got a plan for us, we follow him, he's going to get us there. And that's a tremendous assurance to rest on, and uh, we want to walk worthy uh, of him and uh, just praise him and glorify him. And, you know, the purposes of the church are to bring glory to God, to make disciples, and then to bless and preserve our community. Three simple things, but very, very profound things. And so as we walk worthy, we can do what he intends us to do. Uh, would you bow with me together as we pray, please? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. God, we just surrender to you to, to do whatever it is you want internally. And then as you change us on the inside, you'll use us to change the outside world. So we give you everything as we offer this prayer in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture I want us to, to focus on and look at today is familiar. It's, it's one I, in my personal life, I come back to, and we've talked about the, the bigger passage here. But Acts chapter 2, the very end of it, says, Continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, as I think about the church and, and, and what, as a pastor, I always wanted to see happen in the churches I was a part of and as a church member, even as a teenager, I remember the discussions I had with my parents and grandparents. Yeah, I, I, that last part, the Lord added daily those who were being saved. That's what we want to see. But I'll read a little bit before that and say, having found favor with all the people. A lot of times I'm not sure that describes us today. When we think about the community and, and what they say about us. And I got a, a, an email this week from a friend of mine and it, it, it drove home something I've been praying about and thinking about for months, really years. But he was, he's a minister, and he was talking about his personal situation. 
It's a long email, and he sent it not just to me, but to a few other people. And it basically said this. I got a letter from my wife who said that she was leaving me permanently and moving to another state. And that I hadn't done anything wrong. I'd really been a perfect husband. But that her theological views had changed radically in the 20-some-odd years they'd been married. And she, she said this. She said, I don't want to be a part of a judgmental church that's always putting me down. And that's what I think the church has become. And I read that and I thought, now, first of all, there's a lot wrong with, you know, with what she said. Uh, yeah, I don't, she's made some judgments and, and I don't have any clue whatsoever. He's a friend of mine, but I don't know her. I got no idea, you know, what's happening in their personal life. I can't make a judgment on that. But the average church in America today is plateaued or declining. Forty percent of Americans, when they're surveyed, say that they go to church weekly. In reality, a few years ago when they did uh, put the numbers together, which they can really only do it on a census year when we know how many people are in America, the reality was it was about 20%. And the expert researchers back then, you know, in 2010, said that by 2020, they expected that number to really be 15% of Americans that attended church weekly. 15%. Meaning we're, we're losing ground. Okay, the early church, they had favor with all the people. Now, last week I got that email from that friend of mine whose wife basically said... In a nutshell, hey, you've been great, but the church you serve, you know, he's a minister. You've been great, but the church has found no favor with me. In essence, that's what she said. And I read that and thought, now, wait a minute now, there's a disconnect. So I looked up some numbers, and again, these are about five years old. They're not real old, but they're a little bit old. So if, if 20% of Americans attend church weekly, yet 88% of Americans say faith is important to them. So most people, 9 out of 10 almost, say faith is important, and yet 20% come to church. So not even a fourth of those who say faith is important participate in church weekly. So we've got a disconnect And then 64% said they're open to exploring outside of traditional religions. So two-thirds, almost, of Americans say they'll, they'll look elsewhere. And so I come to the question, okay, if the early church was praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those being saved, oh my, that's what we want today. We all want that today. There's not a person here who doesn't want that? And you, we, some of us may be like a, a pastor friend of mine from years ago told the story of a small church he served. When he went, they had 12 or 15 people on Sunday. They grew. They Over the three or four years he was there, they grew. They reached people in the community. Uh, he was close friends with one particular family. And uh, one Sunday, they were eating lunch together at these folks' house. And the, the lady, the older lady, she said, I'm glad we've reached all those people, but you know, I kind of like it the way it used to be. And my friend was like, 
what? You know, we've got 100 people on Sunday, and you had 12 or 15. And she said in all sincerity, she wasn't unhappy about reaching people. Matter of fact, they were and still are close friends this 20 years later. But she said, I really liked it when I knew everybody by their first name who was there. And I knew those 12 or 15. She said, then we were like a family. And her pastor, you know, friend, he said, well, hey, we just got a big family now. This is like a big old broad family reunion. And she laughed about it. And she said, well, I understand that. And I want us to keep reaching people. She said, don't. Don't hear me wrong. She said, I want us to keep reaching people, but I liked it when I knew everybody. Well, in the early church, they most certainly didn't know everybody because they had thousands who were saved just on the day of Pentecost. But the question I want us to look at some this morning is, what do we have to do to get to where they were? What's got to change? If, if we have to change something, they're, they're, again, none of us are happy with the fact that in a few years, maybe 15 out of every 100 Americans will be worshiping in a church, and, and that's any, any Christian church. That's not just Baptist. That's in a Christian church. I'll lump all of them together. 15% of people are going. What do we need to do? Well, there are some reasons as you talk to people who don't go to church, why don't they go? And I heard a lot of these in my friend's letter. These are the, the four reasons that they gave most of the time. They felt judged. They don't want to be lectured. Millennials and, and baby busters in particular want to have a, a dialogue, and they don't feel like they can have a conversation with us. They, they think we tell them what we want, and they just have to do it, and they're not going to come listen to that. And, and I'm not saying right or wrong. This is what they say. Then churches are full of hypocrites. Say one thing, do another. We're not sincere. They want real. Be real. Tell me the truth. If you messed up, tell me you messed up. And then the fourth one, and this is the one that just penetrates my heart. I don't like this at all. They say, your God is irrelevant in my life. They want real life. They want real answers. They don't want, in their words, theological trivia. And then the question they, they ask in that one is, what evidence do you see of God at work in worship on a regular basis? And not even half of Americans who participate in worship could say how they saw God at work in a regular basis in their churches. So what have we got to do differently? What's got to change for us to get back to where they were? Well, remember where this, this stuff started. Continue, this is verse 46 in Acts 2. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That verse just, just overflows with relationships. Relationship to God and relationship to each other. When those are strong, people are going to be drawn. You know, they were drawn to Jesus Christ. People came in droves. He even had to turn around often and tell them, hey, do you understand what following me is going to cost? And then a, a lot of them, multitudes of them left after that because they didn't want to pay the price but they were drawn to him. 
And so why today do we sometimes, and the word I'm about to use I'm not using lightly, why do we sometimes repel people from Jesus? That's not what he did, and it's not the way we ought to be. You know, I, I just, God's got a plan for us, and I think it begins with transforming the relationships that, that, that we have, transforming our relationship with God and transforming our relationship with other people. You know, yesterday or Friday, I was at somebody's house, a bunch of students, teenagers, were building a wheelchair ramp, and I, I got to help them. The guy had a 1974 Corvette. And the, the, the boys, the teenage boys, you know, we built the ramp and they didn't see it under his shed. And then near the end of the day, they saw it under his shed and you can forget the ramp. You know, <laughs> you know they were over there because I just called him Mr. Edmondson and, and, uh, and didn't even remember his first name. And uh, one of the boys, teen, Will, teenage boy, came up and he said, Paul, man, did you know that Scott, which is, did you know that Scott's got a 74 Corvette? And I said, yeah. And he said, man. They'd all gathered around and they were talking. And we finished up the ramp a few minutes later. And then Mr. Edmondson said, uh, y'all probably pray for people when you finish these things, but I want, I want to be the one praying for y'all. And another team that was doing one around the corner had come to join us. There was a yard full, probably 20 teenagers he said, I want to pray for y'all. And he, he called us out. He said a prayer, and then afterwards he walked up to me. You know, I had met him you know, earlier that morning. I'm not the one who did all the planning and ordering materials and all that. So I'd met him just that morning. And when we were walking away from our prayer, he looked at me. And, and you know, the, the forecast was Friday. By uh, where I, I was in, uh, what town was I in? can't even remember. Rose Hill. By 11 o'clock, it was supposed to be a 50 or 60% chance of rain, and by noon, it was supposed to be a 90% chance, and it was 90% on through the day. When I'd seen him that morning, I said, Mr. Edmondson, you know, I'm just going to shoot straight with you, brother. We'll, we'll do what we can do, but it's supposed to start raining, and we will not be done at 11 o'clock because the kids had worship and different things. They weren't going to get there till 9. And I said, we'll do what we can do. So after we prayed and we walked away, he put his arm around my shoulders and he said, you and I both knew when we talked this morning what was going to happen today, didn't you? Or didn't we? And I said, I had a suspicion, yes, sir, but I'm not going to presume on what God was going to do, but yes, sir, I fully expected him to hold off the rain until we finished the ramp because you need this ramp. That guy had two of the ramp, the, the boards, the, the ramp boards that you use to get your car onto a trailer with the steel plate on the end. And he had a, his left hip had been replaced, his right hip was bad, and he's waiting on a replacement there. The man couldn't hardly bend over. He had drilled a hole through the end of the ramp and put a rope on it, and he said, you know, I, I can't bend over, to, this is afterwards, he said, I can't bend over to pick those things up but that's the only way I've got to get my wife around, a split-level house. He said, so I, I bend over, pick up the rope, stand up, and then I can pull the ramp up like this, and I put it on the stairs in the house, and I can get her to the right level, and then I pick it up and take them each one 
to this door just a few feet away, lower it down again, and he said, and that's what I've been having to do. So I read those statistics and talk about somebody who says they haven't seen God at work and worship in their church. You know, I stood there with a bunch of teenage boys and saw him hold off the rain and say, well, it just didn't rain. Right, we got in the truck and I went two miles away and got to the interstate and it started pouring on me. So when, when, if a person comes up and says, hey, have you ever really seen God at work? Over and over and over again. The other thing Mr. Edmondson told me when he put his arm around me, he's, he's an African-American guy, probably a, about my age. And in his prayer, he said, he was praying to God, and he said, God, thank you that I'm seeing. I got, he said, in front of me, there's some young boys and girls. There were several girls on the other team. He said, there's some young ones. There's some older teenagers. There's some young adults. And then he said, there, there are two or three that are probably as old as me. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. Because yeah, he, he he's not you know, old. He's just, he's, he's got degenerative arthritis is what he's got. And he's standing there and, and he said, God, thank you for bringing these people to show me with my own eyes what your church is supposed to look like, that we're all in this together. Amen. And the reason he said that phrase is, my team came from the Chinese Bible Church in Apex. I didn't know what church they were from to begin with, and I thought, man, I've had some, some folks with Asian background before, but I hadn't ever had four or five of them. wonder where all of these came from. And then one of them, the leaders, helped a day or two and was going to leave, and, and he said, I won't be here t- tomorrow, but Will's going to take my place, and he'll be here and." and uh, and, and both the guy who left was an Asian adult. The guy who came was Asian adult. And I thought, wow, but Chinese Bible church. And Mr. Edmondson is saying, you got boys, you got girls, you got teenagers, you got young adults, you got some of them were older than me, senior adults. You got uh, Hispanics, you got Chinese, and you got Anglo's working together on one project. They continue daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So that was just a one-day a one-week project. We did four ramps last week, actually, and, and had a blast doing it, and the Teenagers, none of them knew how to do anything you know, related to what we were doing when the week started, and all of them knew at least something you know, when the week ended. But that was just a one-week project. You know, we're about being the body of Christ every single day, so how in the world can we do that, and, and what can we do? Well, in Galatians chapter, chapter 2, Paul is is talking to them, and he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now understand what that's saying. Paul said, I've been crucified, and it's Christ who lives in me. Do you understand that the people who said those things about the church, that we're too judgmental, that, that we won't listen, that we're hypocritical, and that God's not relevant, those are their four things. Do you understand that they're judging God based on how you and I Live. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm such a poor representation of God. And, and we all are. You know, we're human beings. We're frail. And even on our best days, we're just a, a dim reflection of, of His glory. But when I begin to contemplate that people are going to judge God based on how I live, it changes my passion for how I live. That relationship to God has got to be so clear and so tight that Jesus Christ lives in me. And that when people look at me, they see Him. Not one day, not some days, but every day. People are going to judge Him based on me and, and based on on how I live. So my relationship to Christ has got to be one of complete and absolute surrender. That's the first relationship that's got to be repaired. So this morning in, in our answering to the question, what can we do differently? What have we got to change? The first answer is, to bow down before God and say, God, I, I want you to take complete and absolute control. I'm letting go of everything, absolutely everything. You take control so that I literally am your hands and feet because you're guiding every single thing I do. When I say something, you're guiding it, that my words are your words, and I'm, I'm edifying and lifting up and encouraging and I'm blessing, and I'm giving your words as the old-time prophets, thus saith the Lord, that they see and hear you through me. But there's a second part of it that, that uh, and, and it's, it's funny on the one hand, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank's in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When we were working, and I'm thinking about the letter you know, that, that I had gotten from my friend that basically his, his wife had said she wanted to reject him and the church because of how the church was and then these statistics that say you know we're hypocrites and then here Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount hypocrites remove the plank from your eye and then you can help your brother or sister with the speck in theirs well I that was I read that email and was thinking it was in my head and then one day this week I picked up a board and a, a pretty good sized splinter I don't ever wear gloves you, you ought to speak particularly when you don't do it much like I don't pretty good splinter just went right in my hand I felt it you know when it went in well I took the board put it down first thing I did is you know, started getting that splinter out because it hurt 
But then I thought about this scripture, and I thought, okay, that was a splinter, and I just pulled it right out. How absurd would it have been if I had just a speck in my neighbor's eye, and I'm fishing around trying to pick that thing out? You know, because I can see it. I mean, you know, you can see it when something is in somebody's eye that you're looking at. You can see it. I've done it before when I'm looking at somebody and thought, man, you got a piece of trash in your eye. Isn't that aggravating you? You know, I wish I could get it out for you. And meanwhile, there's a pure plank sticking out of mine, and so my neighbor's looking back at me and saying, you must have lost your mind. You're trying to nitpick on the trash that's in my eye, the little speck, and you got a pure board sticking out of yours, and you aren't worried about it. I had a friend some years ago who had left church, and he said, uh, I was talking to him, asking questions, why'd you leave, grew up in church, and, and different stuff, and, and he, he made this comment. He said, you know, I sat in business meetings and I, I heard people just attack each other. And he said, then I came to the point thinking, hey, maybe you're trying to shoot your wounded instead of heal your wounded. And then he told me his story. He was a hurting, hurting individual who needed, he wanted, he begged for somebody in the church, just like this says, not that you can't help your neighbor, but he was begging, and he told me, he said, I need the church's help. My life's so messed up. But please don't, don't behave in the way you've behaved as the, supposedly the body of Christ and then destroy my faith in you, then you that you can help me. He was begging Basically, he was saying, just work to clean up on your act, and you can help me clean up mine, and I want you to. That's, that's what he was saying. And Jesus is telling his followers, take the lumber out of your eye, and, and he doesn't say you can't help with the speck. He said, then you can help your, your brother with the speck out of it. You can help. You can. But take your board out. So what, what God has laid on my heart, in my life, and, and I pray today as, as a, a local church that God will, will speak to us is, what is it, God? And we can throw the numbers out, and those are big numbers. You know, for a whole nation, 15 or 20 percent come to church on Sunday. That, that's big, and, and you know, 80, 85 percent of churches are plateaued or declining. Those are big global corporate numbers that it's hard to pick somebody out. But when we, we drive it on home to my, my life, you know, I, I know a little bit about Paul Langston's life. And you know a little bit about yours. You know what's going on. So then the question becomes, God, what do you want me to do so that my relationship with you is what you desire it to be? That I'm crucified with Christ and that it's not me living, but he's living in me. And that people can look at me, and, and they'll, it's not that I'm not ever going to be perfect, but they'll look at me and see Christ, and they'll, they'll forget my name, but they won't forget yours. And then, God, what do you want me to do in my relationship with others? What, what in my life needs to be cleaned up personally before I can be useful to you? 
And then as I'm cleaned up personally, God help me to, with, with love, help, help the people around me. Like my friend you know, years ago was saying, help me, please help me. But don't be hypocritical about it and, and not clean up your life too. That's what he was saying. The same thing people are saying now. You see, Jesus said to his followers, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This was a daily journey. This was a walk. This wasn't just a, a one-time decision and, and I'm going to make a decision and, and say yes to you and then that's the end of it. No, this is a daily walk. So a, a brother or sister who's been a believer for six or seven or eight or nine decades is still in that walk. It isn't over. It's still going on. But a person who just made the decision today, they're in the same walk, following Jesus. You know, adding to their number daily. Uh, God's going to do that as we are his body. As we're his people, he's going to bring people in. You know, it was interesting. The, the, I, I mentioned that there was a group around the corner from us building another ramp. Well, the, the group around the corner, they finished up on Friday, finished up a little early, and, and they, their bus came up, and they started riding by where, where we were, and one of the kids said, well, Paul, I guess our work's pretty much done. We won't accomplish anything now because that whole other bus of kids is coming. Well, they were his friends. And they pulled out, and they all got in the yard, and they were swarming like bees, and he, there were too many. But I asked some of the other ones, I said, man, y'all finished early. Why didn't you go on back to the church, pack up your stuff, and have a lazy afternoon? They said, we didn't want to go back there. We want to be here with y'all. That's the body of Christ. When we have that kind of relationships, and that, that was just a wheelchair ramp. But when we have that kind of relationship on a daily basis, that our desire is to be with each other. Just like my friend said years ago, oh yeah, people are going to come to that because they need that. The more evil and perverse and perverted our nation and our world gets, the more desperate they're going to be for people who reflect Jesus Christ. So when they see him in us and then they go live in the world we live in, they're going to be drawn like a moth to a flame. Bow with me together as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for, for what you do in our lives. You, you work and you move in spectacular ways. And, and God, we want to be useful to you. And as we think about the church having favor with, with all around, God, we want to have their favor. Now, not because we compromised you or your gospel. But God, as much as it depends on us and our relationship and our connection with you and the way we reflect you to others, God, we want to be in the very center of your will. Speak to our hearts and help us hear you. And God, we give you everything. Our answer to you already is yes. So as you put your finger on what you want changed and what you want done, I always say yes. Thank you, Lord. As we offer this prayer, in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, the only one. Amen. Our hymn of invitation and commitment is hymn 294.
have thine own way, Lord. As we stand and sing, this is a time of commitment, a time of answer. We'll answer the Lord as we sing. Stand together with me, please. You see what I'm saying about how God works through the music? And I mean, the last thing we sang was that they would see Christ living in me. Amen. I mean, that's just a God thing. And so we, this week, as we go out through these doors, our passion is for people to see Christ in us. You know, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, that we're going to go do it. And at the end of the week, that he's going to be glorified and he's going to be lifted up. Now bow with me together as we pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for how you work, and thank you that we see you. And God, we, we confess that sometimes we have been distracted, and the outside world, we're not saying they're always right now, but God, we confess that the outside world will often say about us that they don't see you and feel you when we worship, and and that we're hypocrites and we're judgmental and we don't listen or don't, don't converse and talk. God, the thing we want most is for them to see you in us. And we stand for you. We, we've given our lives to you. We're not compromising anything of our beliefs. But God, we want to go out and reflect you and your brightness and your glory and your wonder. Help us to do that. And starting tonight in just a few hours in Vacation Bible School, many kids are going to be here, dozens of kids. And God, we pray that no matter what they hear and see and do, that they'll go home having felt your presence and seen you through us. We surrender to you now. May you be glorified as we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.